You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Finding God, Seeing Christ in the Darkness. As we enter the darkest, coldest period of the year, we remember the cold, dark period when ancient Israel waited for a deliverer who would free them from oppression. We ask, where is our hope? And how do we see him in a world that still seems gripped by the forces of darkness and decay? And we'll discover together that darkness cannot overcome the light. Now hear the word of the Lord. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn for me to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated. Good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors. Thanks for joining us here on this fourth week of Advent. Uh, A couple of quick updates. Uh, We're running out of time to participate in year-end giving. So uh, if you are just joining us now, whether online or here in person, at the end of every calendar year, we said we raise a special amount of money for some uh, cause or some opportunity to build God's kingdom. And this year we're raising money for the Homeless Coalition of Southern Indiana and Hope Southern Indiana. And so every dollar that we raise to that is going right towards them. We're right right around $15,000 that we've raised so far as a church. And that's going to some of the people who've been hit hardest by COVID-19 and who are just facing really difficult life circumstances right now. So if you want to participate in supporting those great organizations, you can give via the app. And there's a pull-down menu where you can just select year in giving. Or if you give via check and want to put it in one of the boxes on the front or the back of the room, just make sure you put year-end giving in the memo line. And I, I just continually 
I continue to be impressed by the generosity of this church. So thank you guys who have contributed and those who are planning to. Um, another thing that got me really encouraged, speaking of your generosity as a church, yesterday we had our, I believe it was our second or our third, third um, affordable second, second affordable Christmas event. And we've been talking about that for several months. And that's in essence where we as a church come together and we buy Christmas presents that children in the community have asked for. And then we sell those presents to their parents at a very reduced cost to help parents give their children um, a wonderful Christmas. And so yesterday we were able to help provide Christmas presents for 80 kids in our community. And uh, one of the moms wrote a note and left it for us. You may have seen this on Facebook. Uh, Julie Cordroy posted that, and she helped lead this effort. And I just wanted to read you guys what she wrote. Uh, so this mother said, Thank you all very much for this wonderful blessing. Helping me put smiles on my kids' faces is priceless. Listen to this part. I prayed so hard for God to show me a way, any way. I just didn't want to let my kids down. This has been a difficult year for us. This gift from you all is very much appreciated. God bless all of you. And so I'm grateful that there was a mother in our community who was praying, who felt like there was no way out. There was no way that she could do what she wanted to do for her children. And you all answered their prayers. So you all got to be instruments of God answering prayers for somebody. And I'm just so thankful for you guys and for that way we get to serve our community. So way to go and be encouraged by that. And then lastly, for the members of our church, we have a special Christmas gift for you guys. So if you're here, you can grab it on the way out by the lobby. I believe either Chrissy Smith or Lindsay Blair will be there, um, or there'll be pickup times through the week if you're watching online. So stay tuned for the times on that. Uh, next Sunday, we'll begin uh, an epiphany series that ties into our current Finding God journey through Advent. Uh, so a little church history lesson or church calendar lesson. Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a time, so technically we shouldn't say Merry Christmas yet, I think. We're not in the Christmas season yet. I'm not trying to start a culture war here, guys. I'm just saying what the historic, traditional Christmas calendar is. So right now we're in Advent. We're not in Christmas. We're in Advent. The weeks of Advent lead up. Uh, it's a time of longing, of expectation, of hope of looking for light coming into the darkness. Uh, the Christmas season, where we say Merry Christmas and actually celebrate Christmas, is the time between Christmas Day and the Feast of Epiphany. And that's where we celebrate Christ's appearing. And so we're not really going to be nitpicky about that. Say Merry Christmas if you want. It's wonderful. It's a great season. I'm just saying the Epiphany feast is the culmination of the Christmas season. Um, this is where we celebrate the appearing of Christ, the manifestation of Christ in the world. And so next week, we are starting a short series called Finding Hope, uh, because the scriptures teach us if we find God, then we will find hope. So we'll look at how do we find the face of Jesus in this in his word. So where do you see Jesus? How do you read the Bible uh, to find Jesus? Where do you see Jesus in his world, uh, in culture, in what we would call general revelation? And then how do we see Christ in his church? And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. After that, we'll be back in the book of Matthew. We've been in Matthew almost three years at this point, and we'll finish the book of Matthew heading into Easter. Uh, today marks a good transition for us between our current series and the next. So the pattern of the scriptures as a whole is God initiates and then people respond. And we either respond through receiving or we respond through rejecting. But God is the great initiator. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. So the pattern of the Bible is God initiates and then people respond. The last three weeks, we've looked at stories of ways that God has initiated. He's revealed who he is, uh, where he is, what his name is, what he's like. 
And now we get to a question that has more to do with you and me. How do we respond? If God initiates all of these different ways, how are we to respond? We found God, in a sense, because he's revealed himself to us. So how do we come to him? And we'll let the prophet Isaiah serve as a model for us. Uh, we, the text that was read is a very famous Christmas passage. Um, maybe not a Christmas passage. It's a very famous passage uh, from Isaiah 6. But the first five chapters of Isaiah really help us understand why this became such a famous passage. The first five chapters of Isaiah are essentially him lamenting over the state of his people, the, the people of God, uh, Israel. God chose Israel, and he led them out of slavery to be a light to the nations. They were to follow God's rules, God's commandments, in order to show the radiant beauty of who God is and what a truly human life could look like so that the nations would come to him, so that the nations would see who God is and they would worship him. But Israel was corrupt and rebellious, consistently defying God's commands and his instructions. So Isaiah chapters 1 through 5 essentially present the, uh, the dilemma of Isaiah's ministry, his calling, his love for God. How can this kind of Israel ever become the promised, clean, beautiful people they were meant to be? That, that's the core struggle of the first five chapters of Israel, or of Isaiah. He knows who God's people were supposed to be, who he called them to be and commanded them to be, and yet he sees how they actually are. Um, and I think if you're the least little bit awake to your own life, you felt that own in internal struggle yourself. Uh, maybe you've had a morning where you look in the mirror and you look at your face or you look at your life and you say, how did it come to this? Or I, I thought it would be so much more than this or so much different than this. Or maybe you've heard a sermon one Sunday that talked about hope or about change and you hear that and you just think that could never be me. I'm, I'm so far from being that. I, I remember when I met Chad Lewis, this is just coming to mind. Chad Lewis is the lead pastor at Sojourn North, our newest Sojourn Collective Church. He's been a pastor here like 20 years. I remember the first time I met him after spending an hour with him, I was like, how does anybody ever become like that? I will never be like Chad Lewis. I think all of us feel this tension in our life, a sense of who we're supposed to be and who we actually are and wondering what could ever bridge that gap. This passage shows us how that dilemma may be solved. And if we're willing, it can move us to hope. So verses 1 through 4 tell us, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. A little intense. Amen. If you have the courage to try to imagine that, it's a little bit intense. Uh, so the, the scriptures closely connect fire with the presence of God. This is a pattern, a theme that you'll see throughout the Old Testament and New. Uh, burning swords guard the Garden of Eden, that gateway back into the presence of God. God appears as a burning bush to Moses. I mean, these are just a couple of quick examples of how God's presence is connected with fire. Seraphim or seraphim here, it means burning ones. Uh, we're not totally sure what these creatures are. Some form of angelic being that look like they're on fire. Uh, 
you could think of them as fiery beings is another way to translate seraphim. Smoke is produced by fire, and so there's smoke everywhere. The, the overwhelming note of these verses is here is God. There is living fire here, surrounded by living fire, filled with smoke. Here is God, the burning ones, living fire, singing, holy, 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 and it's shaking the temple. The most beautiful, significant building in the world at the time is shaking because of how loud these creatures are singing. How would you feel? How would you feel in that room? Have you ever had lightning strike close to your house? The thunder was so close that it shook the walls and you thought you were going to die for a second? And this is happening over and over and over while living fire is screaming, holy, holy, holy. How would you feel? Probably like Isaiah felt. So verse five, he says, it's all over. (laughs) I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He knows who he is, and he sees what's happening, and his conclusion is, it's all over. I'm I'm doomed. Coming to God requires you to see how different you are from the Lord. It requires you to see that you're small, that you have filthy lips, and you live among a people with filthy lips. It means recognizing something is wrong with you. Sometimes you will not see this until you're in the presence of God until you're surrounded by holiness and consuming fire. Sometimes it's not until you see something beautiful that you realize you've been surrounded by things that are ugly. Isaiah is there at this point, but clearly the people of Israel are not. He asks God how long their hard-heartedness will go on. He, He asks God how long will they be this way? And the Lord has a pretty severe response. Verses 11 through 13, he says, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again. What in the world is happening here? This is the biblical vision of hitting rock bottom. We all know that phrase, right? Hitting rock bottom. What is hitting rock bottom? How do you know you or someone you loved has hit rock bottom? Okay, so look at Isaiah's posture. What does he say when he sees everything happening? He says, I am doomed. It's all over. That's a pretty good indication of rock bottom. He's saying there's no way out and I need help. Rock bottom is that that emotional posture you come to where there feels as if there's no way out for you. There are no other options. It's all over and you are doomed. The Lord is saying, Israel will stay this way until they hit rock bottom. Israel will keep being the way they are until they see that it's no longer working. I wish it weren't this way, but in my experience, how old am I? How old am I? 38. I'm 38, and so I've been working in ministries or churches for 20 years at this point, and most often, I wish it weren't this way, most often, people do not come to God unless they know they need Him. People do not respond to God unless they feel they need Him. 
Most often, they will not come to God until the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. Does that make sense? The only way people tend to change almost always is if the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. That's an indication of rock bottom. This way of life cannot go on anymore. I cannot keep doing this. People plead with them and we beg and we invite like Isaiah has, like Isaiah will, but their hearts are hard and their eyes are blind. The Lord knows this about sinful man. We often, we often have to let our independence run its course. We often have to live with the pain of doing life our way long enough that we finally give up and give in. So long as we are saying as individuals or as a people, we can handle this, we can do better, I'll try harder, we haven't hit rock bottom and we likely will not come to God. And so instead, we have to learn from Isaiah's posture here and how we are to receive and respond to the Lord. We must become aware of our brokenness, aware of our helplessness, and to plead with God to save and rescue us, to show us things about us that maybe we don't want to see, areas of blindness, to come with an assumption that there are things in me and in our world more twisted than maybe is obvious to me or maybe than I want to see. Can you imagine the weight Isaiah is feeling in this room? A room filled with smoke, God himself on a throne, his presence filling the room, living fire flying around him, singing so loudly that the room is shaking. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine how little room for pretense there is in this room that Isaiah is in? Can you imagine if one of the fiery angels came up to Isaiah and he said, hold up, hold up, I'll try harder. I'll do better tomorrow, I promise. It's not what it looks like. No. When you come into the presence of God, you confess you are doomed and you need saving. And then if you're Isaiah in this story, something, if it's even possible, something even more terrifying happens. Verse six, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. So listen, I know you guys read the rest of this passage. The rest of it was read for us. And if you've read the Bible, you know what's about to happen after this. But try to put yourself in Isaiah's shoes and pause the story right here. When the room is filled with fire and smoke and the walls are shaking and one of these beings of living fire picks up a coal with, I don't know, magic divine tongues and starts flying at you. What do you think Isaiah is guessing is about to happen? See, one of the greatest fears that keeps many people from coming to God or admitting they are where they are is this kind of fear of holy fire. It's a fear that the Lord knows who I am and what I've done. And if I try to come to him, he will consume me. He will condemn me. He will crush me and destroy me. But this is not who God is. And this is not who he's revealed himself to be over these last few weeks. Let me summarize the last three weeks of sermons for you. He's a God who meets us even when we're on the run, and he promises he'll be with us. He meets us on normal days when life has fallen apart, and he gives his name to us. He shows us his glory and tells us he's a God of compassion, of mercy, who is patient and filled with love and faithfulness. This is the God Isaiah meets, a God 
who sends his burning ones with living fire, not to condemn, but to cleanse. Verse 7, he touched my lips with it. He said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So again, think of posture here. Isaiah does not come with promises to change or try harder. He comes with a confession that he has unclean lips and he is a sinful man. So the God who is a consuming fire sends his living fire to cleanse Isaiah's lips and forgive his sins with his holy fire. Too many of us assume the grace of God now. We assume that he's a God of love and we forget that he's a consuming fire, a holy God of unimaginable worth. But if you can see God the way Isaiah did and see yourself the way he did, then an experience of his holy fire will change you both now and forever. From this moment on, Isaiah believed that if he, a man of unclean lips, can be cleansed and forgiven, then a people of unclean lips can be cleansed and forgiven too. So, how do you come to God? You have to see him as he is and see yourself as you are. And only then will you be prepared for God's cleansing fire. Unless you be mistaken that there's, this is some magic coal here. This is a, a picture of God's presence itself. It wasn't magic coal that cleansed Isaiah. It was the presence of God. That's why it's so important to understand how often fire is associated with the presence of God himself. It was his presence that cleansed Isaiah. If we see God as he is and we see ourselves rightly, then we will plead for the presence of God to cleanse and forgive us. This prepares us to receive Christ. We a people of unclean lips. God doesn't send a fiery angel to us. He sent a baby to us. And you may be frightened by the idea of God coming near. But I want you to listen again to what Jesus himself said he came to do. Speaking to a leader of Israel, a man who had been well acquainted in the prophecies of Isaiah, Jesus said this, This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus brings the presence of God to us because he is God. He did not come to the world to condemn it. He came to save it, which means he didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. He didn't come to consume you. He came to cleanse you. He forgives you by satisfying the punishment for sin on the cross. He cleanses you in his resurrection, adopting you into the family of God and filling you with his presence. So to come back to the original question real simply, how do we come to God? The simplest answer is you don't. You don't come to God. God comes to you. This is the sweetest reminder of the Advent season. Yes, we are a people of unclean lips. Yes, we are a broken, sinful people, but God came near. How do we come to God? We don't. He comes to us, and all that's left for us to do is to receive him. Receive him by seeing the awesome glory of God and by owning your own sin. One of the most unchristian things we can do is to act like we're something we're not or act like we are better than we actually are. If you see God more clearly, you will see yourself more clearly. 
And so we can receive Christ by seeing the awesome glory of God and owning the depths of our brokenness. We receive him by admitting that we need help. We receive him by giving up our way of being a me, by realizing there's a way of living that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. You receive Christ by laying down your normal way of being you that's bringing you death and destruction. You receive him by turning from that life and following him, which means if Jesus tells you to do something, you do it, even when it feels foreign, even when it feels unnatural. You you will only follow Jesus when you're willing to admit following yourself is no longer working. If you see Jesus as beautiful and your ways as broken, that will change how you view his invitations. It won't be until you get to that place of realizing your way of doing life is not working so well for you that you'll be willing to take up the yoke of Christ. What more must he do to show you? Receive him and follow him. And if you do, you will see the wonder-working power of God in your life. You'll be filled with the confidence that he can clean a person of unclean lips such as you, which means he can forgive a sinful person such as you, which means he can do it for anyone else too. As we come to communion to remember how God drew near, how he cleansed us, and how he empowers us to change by remembering the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, he thanked God for it, blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.